Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. You be seated. In the presence of God, please be seated. I'm so excited to share this message. You have no idea. I feel like life, uh, there's been a burden placed on me. And until I release this word, maybe I can go back to normal life. Uh, there's a couple, you guys, some of you guys that may know me, I joke around a lot, but there's some things that I take serious, and that's the word of God, that's his presence, that's coming and gathering together in what we call church. Scripture tells us that we have to confess our sins to God. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Confessing our sins, what it it requires a certain amount of self-awareness. Like, think about that. Like, what is your prayer life like? God, give me this. God, deliver me from this. Lord, my circumstances are too heavy. But we forget one of the most important prayers is confessing our sins to God. A moment of transparency with Him. And what that takes is an analysis of the inner man. A moment and in, in, in a, in a lifestyle of self-awareness. And right before that verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says that if we don't find anything to confess, if we have no sin to confess, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It is dangerous to lie to ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? One of, one of Satan's favorite traps, one of his favorite traps is to whisper false assurances to an unregenerated heart. He's a liar. And Leonard Ravenhill says this. I love this quote. He says, the devil has two major tricks with people. One is you are so good that you don't need to be saved. And you are so bad that you can't be saved. On both accounts, he is a liar. Naturally, what we want to believe is we like to give our, ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And that's okay, but naturally we like to believe ourselves to be better, smarter, and more ethical than maybe we really are. But what self-examination does is it keeps us honest, not only with ourselves, but with God. And we need self-examination to combat the spiritual deception that is rampant in our world. What can be more dangerous than the deception brought upon the unsuspected is the damage that maybe we perpetrate on ourselves. Meaning, check this out. Is it, it's one thing to fool someone that has no common sense, but it's another to fool yourself. There is a certain type of people that I've realized in life, and, and I'm not talking about in ministry, I'm not talking about just coming to church, I'm just talking about dealing with people in life. What I've learned is that there are a certain, there is a certain type of person that just can't be helped. Like, I know we're in church, and we don't say that, and we want to just think every, the best of everything, but, but hear me out. It is hard to help people that are unaware of themselves. It is so hard to help these, it is so hard to help these people. They just can't see that there is anything wrong with them. They can't even admit there is, there's nothing wrong with me. Everything is okay. And so again, it's one thing to deceive somebody that has no common sense, but another to fool yourself. Can you imagine this? Imagine going in a direction for so long in a direction you thought you were supposed to go just to end up in the wrong place. Just to find out you were doing it wrong the whole time. 
all the time that I wasted, all the damage that I've done, because we fool ourselves and we think, I got it. I got it. As a man, there are certain things that I'm not afraid of. I, I, I'm not afraid of getting into a jam. I'm not afraid of getting, uh, uh, of, of people pulling up on me. I'm not afraid of, of, of certain things. I'm not afraid of my financial state. I'm, there's just certain things that I'm not afraid of. But when you insert my wife and my family and my children into it, there are plenty of things that I'm afraid of. When I have to worry about other people, there's so much to be afraid of. But one thing that I fear most in life, one thing that I fear most in life is dying and being wrong. I'm not talking about wrong, wrong with my faith. Like, I will die for this faith. And I say it, it's easier said than done, right? But I believe that with all my heart. Like, I refuse to be a Judas. I will die for my faith. I will cry out God's righteous decree. I will sing of his holiness. I will not back down to a world that wants to hear sweet nothings, even if it's called hate speech. I refuse to do it. But one thing that, that I'm afraid of is dying and being wrong. Wrong about, wrong about these things is... is I gave you the gospel and you blew it. I gave you a wife and you blew it. I gave you children to steward, to raise and train up in my ways and you blew it. I gave you a ministry, I gave you relationships and you just blew it. And the most frightening words in scripture to me because of my fear is many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? Did we not go to the connect groups? Did we not get our families dressed after work on a midweek to come to church? Did we not get our families ready on the weekend on a Sunday when it's perfectly fine to be comfortable at home? Did we not do these things in your name? We went to the conferences. We went to, the, we went to buy the books. We went to Reach Bible Institute. We've done it all. Just to hear, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers picture this every single person that has ever lived every single person that has ever ever had breath on this earth they ever even here until the end of the age until Jesus comes back every single person will arrive at heaven's gates we will all arrive at in the lobby of heaven but not everybody will stay there can you imagine hearing this is as far as you go I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoer. And, 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 and the person that I'm concerned about most is not the person that has never heard the, the gospel on the backside of an island of a country we never heard of before. The person that I'm concerned for the most are the people that are sitting in your row. The functional atheist. It's the one who comes and does church, but you're lost. Deceiving yourself the whole time, not admitting that you need help. Not admitting that, that, that the, the gospel, and one, th one of the, man, one of the biggest lies that the enemy whispers in your ear, one of the biggest lies that Christianity, American Christians has bought into, is that I have time. So, you, you sit here, you come, and you do what you want to do. You act all tough right now, but I guarantee you, you're not ready for judgment. 
feel sorry for the one sitting in the chair. They're up and down your row. They're all across. They serve in our church. They have the good heart. They have the right intentions, but they're lost. So what's worse? Being far from God, dying and being lost, or thinking that you're near? Being far from God, dying and being lost, or thinking that you're near, just to hear, depart from me. Because if I was lost, I should have just been, been acting a fool, doing whatever I wanted to do. If you're going to be lost, you might as well just act ratchet, go have fun, YOLO. Right? But we lie to ourselves. So tonight I want to go into this church that lied to themselves. This church is mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. It is one of the seven churches that Jesus had told John the Apostle, who was a prisoner on Patmos. He says, listen, I want you to write a letter to these seven churches. And the last church of the last church that is mentioned is the church in Laodicea. So I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this time. And thank you, God, for the opportunity, God, to, to speak to your children. And I myself, God, a broken vessel, I'm just a communicator, Father, but you are the ultimate messenger. I stand, God, as, as your voice, and I pray, God, that you would use me. I pray, God, against all pride, Lord, that we lay it down right now. I pray, God, the scales that are hidden, Father, the scales that are on our eyes, that we, you would remove them by the power of your Holy Spirit so we would have soft hearts and be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I do want to honor my pastors. They're on vacation. We miss them, but I'm excited to see them on Sunday. You guys excited to see Pastor Omar Sister Letty? Yeah, I'm excited to see them. Uh, honor the rest of the pastoral uh, team. I'm just, man, I'm just this... Uh, this kid that grew up in a broken home, uh, and I get to serve with just mighty men and women of God. It's, it's a true, true privilege. Uh, we had a great time last Saturday with our, uh, with our Harvest Fest. You guys appreciate that? So many people involved to make that happen, so we want to thank you guys. Uh, and I just want to be the first uh, to tell you guys, uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm itching to put them lights up. I can't wait. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Jesus says, he tells John and Patmos, I want you to write these letters. But understand that when he writes these letters, he wasn't writing it to a building. What he was doing was he was writing it to a, cert, to a body of believers. They were considered the church. Now, in order to understand the fullness of this context, in order to understand the fullness of the word that I'm going to say, we have to understand the city that Jesus was speaking to. Now, these things weren't written in Revelation, but they're easy to look up. Anything that I mentioned, you can look up on your own. So we have to understand the city. Understand that Laodicea was the richest of all the seven churches mentioned. They had the most money. They were very, very rich. In the year 60 AD, there was an earthquake that completely just ruined the whole city. And what happens, according to a writer, Tacticus, what he says is Rome offered to pay for the city to be rebuilt, but the people declined. They said this, that they were wealthy enough to restore their city on their own. I got this. I don't need your PPP loan. We can do this on our own. Now, also, there was three main industries that Laodicea was known for. This is important. If you got notes, if whatever, if you want to check in right now, now's the time. There were three main industries Laodicea was known for. The first one was it had a banking center for the province of Asia Minor. Covered a, a huge uh, 
a huge area, and including a gold exchange. They were in the crosshairs of, of a Roman uh, trade route of commerce. So this banking industry naturally erupted, and they just had banks everywhere throughout the city. Next is what they, they had a fertile plateau, which they had almost like exotic animals. Now, these exotic animals, whether they were goats or whether they were sheep, they were able to produce this black wool. Now, this black wool, what they used was they wove it into garments to where the, like the who's who's were wearing this. Now, I'm not talking about irresponsible people or people that like to be bougie like us, middle class, like you got the Gucci slides and the Gucci belt or you got the, the Burberry purse. No, no, no. I'm talking about like if you had this, you, you, were, you were them. Like, it's like almost like owning a, a, a Lambo or something. Like, you knew, okay, they, they really, really have money. It was a black wool that they exported all around the world. Also, they had a, they had a major medical school in their city. And it was known worldwide because what they were able to produce from their stone in Laodicea, they were able to produce this eye salve that helped heal your eyes. If you had eye damage from the sun or whether you were partially blind or whether there was even exterior damage, whatever it was, if you rubbed this powder, mixed it with water, then it helped you and it helped heal your eyes. Lastly, the thing that I want to mention is this. Where Laodicea was built is very important. Six miles north of Laodicea was a city called Heropolis. Heropolis was also mentioned in the Bible. Now, Heropolis was built on, on volcanic hot springs. So what they had was they had hot water, like really hot water. They, their, their whole city was a big jacuzzi. So what happens is the water goes down, it bubbles up, it comes back, and they had natural hot springs. Now, 10 miles east of Laodicea was the city of Colossae. We all know the, the, the book of Colossians that Paul wrote to the city of Colossae. What they had was pure cold water. Six miles to the north, hot water. 10 miles to the east, cold water. Where Laodicea was built, they were built along the Lycus River Valley. But the issue with Laodicea was that their river and their water was nasty. They couldn't drink from their own water. So what they had was water problems because they couldn't, their water was disgusting. It was murky. It made you, it made you, it made you sick. Now, because of their water problems, they had all the money, right? So what they did was they had the money and the engineers to build aqueducts. So what they did was six miles to the north to harvest the hot water from Heropolis. They built aqueducts that came down to Laodicea. Okay. And what they did was they built aqueducts 10 miles east from Colossae to harvest their cold water. That's important. By the time they got the hot water from Heropolis, it was lukewarm. It wasn't hot like from Heropolis. It was lukewarm. And because they used stone, they didn't know this at the time. Because they used stone, when that hot water from Heropolis traveled to Laodicea, it picked up minerals. And by the time that lukewarm water filled with min minerals got to Laodicea, when they drank that water, it made them nauseous. So when you drink it, it made, they had a constant water problem. This is what they lived with, was a constant water problem. The hot water, lukewarm. The cold water, lukewarm by the time they got it. They were plagued by drinking warm, polluted water that made you sick. Now we're going to read the letter to, to the Laodiceans. In Revelation chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 14, it says this. 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. This is Jesus. It says, these are the words of the amen. This is powerful language. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Je Jesus is telling them, I am the amen. I am the so let it be. I am the God of the Old Testament. I am more than a man. What he's saying is that I'm God in the flesh and whatever I say you need to trust. He's affirming himself as God before he, he addresses these people. What I say will come to pass. When I say it, it will be settled because his word is unchangeable and he is settled on his promises and his purposes. Now what I find interesting about this, what I find intriguing is that we mentioned Heropolis, we mentioned Laodicea, and in and, and Colossians, Paul also is writing to the church in Colossae that's not too far from Laodicea. And he kind of tells them the same thing. Look, this is what he says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. It says, The son of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's basically just saying the same thing that that Jesus told the Laodiceans. Now check this out. This is why I mentioned this. Because in Colossians chapter 4 verse 16 it says. After this letter has been read to you. Which is the Colossians. See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you in turn read the letter from the Laodiceans. Like the, he, Paul isn't talking about the letter that Christ is writing them. Paul also wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. But we don't know where it is. So what he's saying is listen. When you're done with this letter. I want you to share it with them. And when they're done with theirs. I want them to share it with you they're dealing with the same thing 10 miles not too far they are dealing with the same thing they're both wrestling with with this false belief about Christ Christ has to write them Paul has to write them they must be really lost now they need help with their broken view of who Christ is let me tell some of you guys this right now that is if your view of Christ is off your whole theology is off if your view of who Jesus Christ is, is off. Your whole doctrine is off. Now I might get in trouble for this. And I don't know who watches our live stream. But I'm going to tell you straight up. You look at the church of the Mormons. Their, their Christ, their Christology is off. Joseph Smith is their prophet. Jesus is something that they just sprinkle on, on their word. Lost. You look at the church of the Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses. You look at the New Age philosophy. If your Christology is off, if your view on Christ is off, your life is off. That's why some of you can't vote right politically. That's why some of your, your social stances are all murky. That's why you're unable to stand for the truth on abortion. Stand for your truth on sexual identity uh, problems that we have. Because if your view of Christ is off, your whole mindset is going to be off. God is willing and able to help with the one who is willing to listen, but he can't help the arrogant, the one that is unwilling to change. It's hard to teach someone who thinks they know everything. It's even hard to learn from somebody who thinks they know everything. Yeah, you're telling me what I got to do, but you're just nasty. It's ugly. False beliefs about Christ allowed them to have false beliefs about themselves. This, this is what we deal with sometimes. Is, is there's people here, you think that you've arrived because you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. 
You think that you have, you, you've arrived or, or you deserve some special treatment because you, you know some scriptures by heart or because you lead a connect group or because you serve better than the next person because you could always say yes. That's a yes man and a volunteer. But if you don't have the right, then you're not, a, you don't have the right heart, then you're not a servant. In reality, when we have this type of mindset is we shut ourselves off to, to, to being taught. And there is no one here that can't be taught. Not your pastor, not the person with the microphone, not the person sitting next to you. There is nobody that can't be taught. The only person that can't be taught is God because he knows everything. So check this out. Watch Christ's rebuke. Watch Jesus' rebuke to arrogant Christians that can't be taught. They're so caught up in their affluence. They're so caught up in their money. They're so caught up in all of their engineering. Everything that they got, they're caught. And watch what Jesus says. He says in Revelation 3 verse 16. He says, because you are lukewarm. My goodness, I feel the power of the Holy Spirit already. Listen, they know what it is to be lukewarm because this is their water problem. Look at the master teaching of Jesus. You think he just said this? No. What he's doing is he's using things in the physical element to help them understand. You guys are all jacked up. You know that water problem that you have? You're just like that water. You know that, that pornography problem you have? You're just like that pornography. You know that lying and that bitterness and that unforgiveness that you have in your heart? You're just like all of that. He digs in the heart with something that they could understand. You're just like that drinking water, that, that problem. Because you are lukewarm. Watch the rest of the verse. It says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. My goodness. Nowhere in scripture does Jesus speak so harshly to a group of people. So aggressive. I mean, more aggressive to the rich young ruler. You can't follow me. There's other idols in your life. More aggressive than the man that said, let me go bury my father. Let me wait till he dies. You can't follow me. More aggressive to, the, to, to, to the, even the Pharisees. Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you Pharisees. Beware of the Pharisees. Woe to you. I don't necessarily know what woe means, but I want no part of it. Woe to all these people. Like, this is the harshest letter of the seven letters that Jesus writes to the churches. He has good things to say to the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, to Thyatira, to Pergamum. He's got good things to say to these churches. But he doesn't even commend the church of Laodicea at all. Let's get straight to business. You're lukewarm. And because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He's, he's implying you make me sick. A body of believers. Your whole church makes me sick. You got the money. You got the congregation. You got the resources. You got the live stream. You got the people. You got the good programs. You got the books. You got the merch. But you make me sick. He says, I wish. He's pleading with them. He's saying, I wish that you were either hot or cold. What does that mean? Because naturally when we share this verse, we think that hot is bad and cold is good or cold is bad and, good, and hot is good, right? I had that misconception. Naturally, we think that. But he's talking to a city with water problems. To the North Horopolis with hot water. This water 
had healing properties in it. You know, like the sauna, you know, like the jacuzzi, you know, when you have muscle spasms, you know, when you just, you, you need to submerge yourself in this hot water, it has healing properties in it. Not only when you submerge yourself in it, but when you drink it, Heropolis had hot water that brought healing. And if you, and, and, and to the east, you had Colossae with cold water that refreshes this cold water refreshes you when you're out in the hot sun. This cold water refreshes you when you've been out tackling people all Sunday and you need a nice ice bath. So you have hot water that heals and you have cold water that refreshes. The church provided neither healing or refreshment. The church in the Laodiceans, neither they brought healing or revivement. And this was a problem since they neither brought healing or refreshment, they were ineffective to creating change. In other words, you are useless. Just like that water in your city, you're useless. Just like that water in your city, it's disgusting. It's nasty. I want no part of it. Lukewarmness, church, listen. Lukewarm lifestyle is ineffectiveness. Ineffective. And listen. I know we don't hear that a lot, and I know I'm coming pretty hard. Like, I get it, and I'm not going to apologize for it because it's the Word of God. We don't apologize for the Word of God. Listen, I've been lukewarm before. I want to encourage somebody right now. Listen, I'm not just coming straight out the gate, guns blazing. I've been lukewarm before. Some of your connect group leaders, the people that you've served with, the, the, it, maybe even yourself, you understand, I've been lukewarm before. Maybe some of you right now are lukewarm sitting down and you can just and the holy spirit is revealing it to you you're finally able to admit i need help i am lukewarm the holy spirit is doing what we're asking him to do listen i've been there but in the darkest nights of my lukewarmness in the darkest place that my heart has ever been my goodness my prayer was god will you heal me or will you convict me? But please, don't spit me out. I know I'm struggling with the same bondage. I know I'm going through cycle after cycle. But God, will you heal me or convict me? But please, do not forsake me. Please, do not spit me out of your mouth. Will you keep me close enough to warm me up again? Will you throw some cold water on my face to wake me up? Please, heal me or convict me. But do not spit me out. So if you're hearing this message and you play church... If you hear the word of God and you believe in a God, but you're just going on your own, you're just, I'm coasting, I'm doing what I got to do right now. I'm going to do me. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It is not coincidence that you are here. God, will you tap on my heart and do not take your spirit away from me. There is a reason why this church was lukewarm. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. Jesus is explaining to them why they're lukewarm. He says to the Laodiceans, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is not the message Bible. This is what Jesus is saying. 
You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You are so secure in all that you have that you have actually drifted away from me. This is a bad place for believers to be, is that we trade Christ for idolatry. We replace him for money. We replace him for doctrine. We replace him for relationships. We replace him for more people. We replace him for outcomes and circumstances. Tell me that does not sound like the church in America. Tell me that doesn't sound like your favorite preacher online. That big church down the street. That big church across the city, all across Los Angeles, Orange County, wherever. Tell me that doesn't sound like these churches. Listen, it takes so much spiritual maturity. It takes so much spiritual maturity to prosper financially and sustain hunger spiritually. Like, that, that's a heat check right there. So much spiritual maturity to thrive, to be financially blessed while sustaining a hunger spiritually. Revelation chapter 3 verse 18. I love this. It says, I counsel you. Jesus is telling them, you're, you're poor, you're pitiful, you're wretched, all these things. He's telling them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. So you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cumber your shameful nakedness. He's, talk, he's a beast. He's talking to people that are blacked out. Like, I got the wool, I look good. Their whole city, they all wear wool. He's talking to, I want you to buy from me white to cover your, to cover your, your shameful nakedness. And I want, you to buy, I want you to buy salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He is talking to the richest city in the province, the richest city in uh, Asia Minor. He's talking to these people that wear black. And he's talking to these people that have a world-renowned medical school. You say you don't need these, you say you don't need anything, but I want you to buy from these, me these three things. I want you to buy from me gold. Gold, what happens is when it's put in the fire, it bubbles up and all the impurities start to be released. You separate the impurities from the gold by putting it in fire. When you are refined by God, it's because he wants to see his reflection in you. So some of you guys are praying, you're praying that away. You can rebuke it. You could declare and decree all you want, but it's there. And what do you do when it's there? Is, is God saying, no, no, no. Like, I'm not going to remove that because I want you to go through that fire. I want all these impurities to be bubbled out. So when I look at you, I can see myself. I want you to buy white garments. These people that wear black wool, buy white garments instead. You know what this white garments represent? It's forgiveness. I want you to buy from me the forgiveness that covers the shame of your sin. Because you're just like that nasty drinking water. You need forgiveness. There are so many people in this place you are dealing with. For, you, you've been dealing with just feeling guilty and shameful all the time. Like, this is just your life. You just, you're your worst critic. You're just guilty all the time. You're just filled with shame. You're just filled with guilt no matter where you go. Can I encourage some of you guys that, that you cannot find forgiveness outside of Jesus? There is just no way. You will carry that shame and your guilt all the time unless you give it to the Lord. You're always running from God, but you need to run to God. Like, you stop running from the cross. Allow him to cover you. There is forgiveness because of the cross. I want you to buy I salve. I want you to buy salve from me. I want you to buy this salve. You're so messed up that you, but, but uh, like you can't see spiritually. I want you to buy from me spiritual sight. This is so powerful. The closer that you get to God, the better that you can see. 
hear this out. It's not about how long you've walked with him. It's about how close you've walked with him. Look at the life of Judas. Judas walked with Jesus on the earth longer than most, and he betrayed him. Look about the person that, that just loves, yeah, well, I've been coming, I've been saved for 30 years. Oh, okay. I wish I would see 30 years of fruit. That, that was a little mean. I'm going to get back to my word. It's not how long, guys. It's how close. That's why, man, I get fired up when I see people and I'm like, I don't care if you've been here a year. You're already challenging me and keeping me accountable. I can't let you surpass me. I'm your leader. Like, well, like you got to keep me hungry. And this is what spiritual community is. This is what gospel community is, is that we keep each other accountable. And what does it say in the, what does it say in the word of God? Like that, that, that the, the man is stronger than the woman. It's not that women are weak. And like, my goodness, like when, when I married my wife, like there's just no way I'm allow her to lead me. So as a, as a godly man in a godly marriage, we allow strong women to encourage us to be stronger than them because we are the leader of the household. That's just the way it goes. I'm sorry. It's not about time. It's about intimacy. You think about the consuming fire, right? God is a consuming fire. This fire isn't something that burns you and makes you feel condemned and makes you feel weak. It's that when you get close to that consuming fire, things that don't belong begin to burn off. The closer we get to Jesus, the easier it is to see. So what is God saying to the church today? What is God saying to reach Paramount right now? What is he beckoning to all the churches across the world? I believe what Jesus is telling us is that we need to repent. He's pleading with them. And listen, you can't buy forgiveness. You can't buy spiritual sight. You can't buy the, 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 the righteousness from God. So what does it cost to get these things? What is Jesus saying that it cost? The cost of what it takes to buy from Jesus is what he's asking is humility. Go back to the beginning of my opening statements that I had with you is humility, the ability to understand and to self-examine, to have self-awareness that I need to humble myself before God. And when you recognize that, you always recognize that there's always more growing to do. The cost is humility. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19, we're going to continue. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. There it is right there. Because you're so wretched, broke, pitiful. You're all of these crazy things. I want you to buy all of this from me. And because I love you, be earnest and repent. No secrets. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock it. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now that verse 20 is used incorrectly all the time. It's not a big deal. Like there, it's not like a real theological issue. But what a lot of evangelists like to do, a lot of people that like to share the gospel with people is, is, is like to say like, he's standing at the door and knock. And if you open the door, he's going to come in. We use it for unbelievers all the time. But who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the church, a group, a body of believers. You're busy, but I'm on the outside. He's knocking, saying, let me in. How is it that we have made Christ a guest in his own home? He's saying, let me in. 
Let me love you. Let me guide you. Let me heal you. Let me show you what true love is. Let me rebuke you. Let me correct you because I discipline those that I love. And he's standing on the outside of the church saying, let me in. If I could have uh, Daisy, just Daisy, only just Daisy for now, please. If I could have Daisy come minister with me. It says, he's saying, let me in. Check this out. Normally, statistically, there's probably not even a statistic out there. How many people does it take to open up a door? One person. It takes one person to open a door. It takes one person to change a church. It takes one person to change a team. It takes one person to change a marriage. It takes one person to change a family. One person. You just got to say, Lord, I'm going to let you in because he's been knocking on the door of your heart. How is Christ locked out of his own church? What have we been doing wrong? So I ask you today, what about your door? What does your door look like? I want you to search your house. Not the one that you're going to go back to and sleep. And I'm talking about the one that is occupying the clothes that you wear right now. What does your house look like? Is Christ inside? And if he is, where is he? Is he in the center? Is he in the forefront? Or is he just something that we sprinkle on like the Mormons? All the mistakes that you made in life because he's a guest that business that you own that you're starting he's not trying to take take it and throw it away he said let me help you let me show you that family that you're trying to start let him in that marriage that you, that, that you just walked into that you've been in for 30 years that marriage that you, you're struggling with let him in give God control and, and see, see, see what type of work he does You'll regret that you didn't do it sooner. Stop being busy and let him in. Verse, verse 21, it says this. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to seat. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He didn't just speak to seven churches. He didn't just speak with Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum, Philadelphia, Laodicea. He didn't just speak to these churches. He chose these churches for a reason. There was a reason why he chose these churches. And the reason why was because not only were they ancient gathering of believers, they represent the church age of all time. From the founding of the church in Acts in the first century to the return of Jesus. Every single one of those churches that Jesus addresses in Revelation 2, 3, and 4, all seven of them represent the church age of all time. From the first century when the Holy Spirit fell on them till now, until the day that Jesus comes back, these seven churches represent what we go through. Now there were five issues. Either there were seven churches, but there were there were there weren't seven issues. There were five issues, and five of these issues they plagued the churches of all time, cycles after cycle after cycle. I gotta hurry. It's Ephesus. They lost their first love. 
you love something more than Christ. My goodness. Smyrna. You ever felt like bowing out during pressure? First world problems in America, we don't suffer well. We don't. We're circumstantial people. We dip at the first side of pain. Bow out during pressure. Pergamum, compromise of his word. Welcome to the church in America. Strongholds, faulty thought patterns because they believe things not founded in the word. Thyatira, Jezebel was running rampant in that church. What is Jezebel? Sexual immorality. You cannot sit here and tell me that you do not deal with the sexual immorality at one point in your life. 98% of people in this room that hear my voice, that are watching on the screen, have dealt with sexual immorality. There are, there, there are active spirits of Jezebel in our church. Love the attention from men. Love the attention from women. It's there. Church in Sardis? Spiritually dead? You can't tell me that, you, that, that your worship, wherever you're standing, like this, means something to God. You can't tell me that you don't read His Word, you don't pray, and that you're spiritually alive. Spiritually dead. The church of Philadelphia, I know some of you guys have been faithful, but feels like God hasn't come through yet, so you're kind of like guessing where He is. That was the church in Philadelphia. I'm still not married. Oh, that door still hasn't opened. I still haven't been given ministry. And you're serving and serving and you feel like, man, I've just been faithful, but where is God? This is what the church in Philadelphia dealt with. The church in Laodicea, lukewarm. It is in the room. Every single one of those problems that plagues the church of all time is in the room. I can minister this at another church. It's in the room. I can minister this on the backside of a mountain somewhere else. It's in the room. It's there. These are things that we deal with. I believe that our church is in revival. I've been afraid to say that because, I, I, man, I'm just, but, but I know that I know that what God is doing in this church, we are scratching the surface of revival. Like, yeah, give God some praise. Absolutely. 100%. Scratching the surface of revival. It's here. And how do we steward that? I believe before we go any further in revival, I believe this moment is so precious. I and mean, you can abandon this moment if you want. That's up to you. But I believe that before we go any further as a church, we need to repent as a church. We need to repent of the things that we put God before God. We need to repent from all the idolatry in our life, all the spiritual laziness, the procrastination. Before we go any further, we need to repent as a church. So what I say is this. These altars are open now. We need to repent as a church. Come on, some of you guys need to be running up here. I'm going to start with all the leaders in this church. There are things that you need to repent to God for. If you're a disciple in this church, I want you to come down and kneel at this altar. Please be, please uh, make room for your brother and sister. There are people that need to repent. Some of you guys have put so many things before the Lord. You are sitting there right now and saying, this isn't me. I don't, I don't know why I'm even here. If you're in your living room, if you're watching from the other side of the screen, you need to repent. I don't care where you repent. 
You could do it in your chair. You could do it sitting down. You can come up here. I mean, make room for yourself. Literally come up here, get on your knees and repent and ask the Lord to forgive you of the idolatry, of the laziness, of the unforgiveness, of, of, of hurting others, of the gossip, not being teachable, not being, not being able to be corrected, all the lies, all the sin, the disobedience. You need to repent for the way that you treat your wife, your husband, provoking your children, all the cheating that you've done on your taxes. Whatever it is, come at the front and begin to lay it down at the feet of the Lord. Father, heal us, God. Or convict us, Lord, but do not spit us out. As you are beckoning out to your church, as you are pleading with them to repent, Father, I pray, God, that you would give them this moment, God, to repent. A turning point, God, in their life, a turning point in their ministry, in their marriage. I pray this is a turning point in our church, Father. Holy Spirit, move in this place here and now. I pray you would walk up and down, Father, every single person. You would tap on their hearts and do what only you can do in the name of Jesus, we pray. Father, heal our marriages in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would begin to speak to the husband, Father. That they would raise up, God, and stand up, God, for your righteousness, Lord, and that they would lead their homes. I pray, God, you would anoint, Father, every husband in this place, God. Give them confidence and boldness, Lord, that you are with them, God, that they can lead their family, they can lead their wives. I pray for every wife, Lord. Pray, God, for boldness, God, and the courage to stand up, God, when their husband won't. Lord, you would give them the grace and the discernment, Father, when to stand up, God, when to challenge, God, and when to, when to submit, Father. We pray for every disciple in this place in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that our heart, God, would be consumed by you, that we'd be consumed to please you, Father, and nobody else, God, that you would be front and center, and we would not worship man, Lord, but we would worship you in the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.